welcome to Leo Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals to talk about law enforcement issues and the news, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And let me go ahead and introduce our huge crew to you this evening. Uh, yes, we have uh, uh, Chief John Newman, all retired this evening. We have uh, Special Agent Mike Roach, Secret Service. We have Producer Will Statzer. So thanks, guys, for being on the show. Appreciate it. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP. Uh, yes, our new sponsor. More about them later. Uh, Guardian Alliance Technologies, GunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, Tactote.com, and we are fueled by Bang Energy. So thanks to all those entities for helping make the show happen. Look, let's go ahead and start off this with the video. Um, it is on Rumble. This is Butters. This is the channel. State Attorney General's Office releases a body cam footage of a fatal shooting by police in Inglewood. So this um, chilling trio of body cam videos, and yes, they've got a lot of video on this, and uh, it's been released by state authorities. It shows a fatal Labor Day encounter between the Inglewood Police Department and a city man who had just stabbed three people. And if you're listening to us on podcast or on radio, we're going to describe in great detail what's going on so you don't miss a thing. So Bernard Placid has a bedroom door partially open, and this is in the video, when Officer Brian Havlick and Officer uh, Lawana Sharp finds him shortly before 8 30 in the morning on thursday october the 6th so we got the male officer brian and then we got the female uh, lawana sharp so uh, they're saying things like put your hands up now or you're going to get shot i'm not kidding and that's what officer havlick tells him and then officer sharp the female is standing outside the door and they've got their guns pointed in in, in the video and there's of course three police body cams going on and there's a third one we're going to get to so both of them repeatedly tell our bad guy to put his hands up and then drop the knife he does not respond a third uh, person, it's a female officer, I suspect maybe a supervisor, um, uh, tells the male officer to tase the bad guy. So the male officer uh, puts his gun away, grabs a taser. At least he knows the difference between the two, uh, Chief John. And then he pushes the door open with his foot. And uh, and anyhow, he, he, he tases the guy. And so then what's he do? He yells for the female officer, go, go. So he gets the female officer to charge the bad guy and uh, while administering the taser. So the female officer sharp rushes uh, Placid, the bad guy who's on the floor. He has no shirt on. He's wearing yellow rubber cleaning gloves with something in his right hand. So there's a red optical laser dot from the officer's gun can be seen on his chest. And so she yells, drop it, drop it. Then she shrieks you know, screams and uh, she's struggling with him. He does not let go of what he's holding. And uh, she fires, uh, you hear a muffled shot on the video from her gun. And then she gets up and she runs out of the room. So Placid or bad guys pronounced dead. 
And the three wounded civilians were treated at an area hospital and released, the ones that our, our guy with the knife had, had you know, damaged. The family released a statement through attorney Eric Kleiner of Inglewood Cliffs, and they said that, quote, at this preliminary stage, it is crystal clear that this officer recklessly and indefensibly used excessive lethal force. If the officer and the EPD had followed standard rules of police engagement and police protocol, Bernard would be alive today facing what would have been a minor criminal charge. The video footage also clearly depicts the officer acting with the consciousness of guilt by fleeing the scene, leaving Bernard for dead. So I think that's a little bit, uh, you know, excessive. Uh, Placid, our bad guy, was six foot four inches tall, weighed 300 pounds, played offensive tackle at Dwight Morrow High School, and he graduated in 2018. Just to give you an idea of the uh, of, of the size of the guy in case that comes into anyone's consideration on whether or not it's a good or bad shoot. That's what we have, guys. Uh, um, any commentary on this? I, I I find a little humorous that we have our male cop telling a female to go in and grab the bad guy when he ta- when he when he tased him. Which is, I mean, look, female officer, t- you know, big small officer, male female, white black, everybody should be able to do the job, even including the the chief or the sheriff of that department should be able to do the same job. So, Chief John, she's telling him to go taser, and I had an issue with that because it looked like he had the better visual than she did. Now, we're looking at her body, Warren. She's saying taser, but the door wasn't all the way open, I think, for her to be able to say that. I don't. Um, I think so that maybe, was a third That was a third person. That, I don't think it was the officer at the door. I thought it was another female that was there, a third person, I, I thought. I, you know, we, we talked about screaming and getting hysterical a couple of weeks ago, and she, you know, she uh, made the case for us here. You know, six foot four, laying on the ground with a knife, he's already cut two or three people. You don't look that big when you're laying there. The gloves kind of threw me off for a second. Um, I don't, I, I'm still kind of dumbfounded as to why she, you know, she left. She just left him there. I don't care what the attorney says. They get paid to say all those type of things. But tactically, I don't, I, it's, I'm still not sure why she did that. I, 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 I don't have an issue with the shooting overall. I, I think the taser was kind of effective. He really wasn't coming down on anyone at that point. But um, I don't know. It was it was very. It wasn't even organized chaos. It was it was a hectic scene, and a lot of that was created by her. All right, thank you. Good commentary, Mike. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of shrieking going on, and in fact, I, I didn't initially hear the gunshot because of the shrieking that was going on, and I had to replay it a couple of times to say, "Oh, well, she actually fired," um, you know, and. You know, we all know knives are very, very dangerous. Um, you know, there, there was already people that were injured and, um, you know, she goes in there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and then once the, the shot is fired, then she like, you know, turns and runs out and we don't know anything. I, I think she did have some sort of injury to her hand. Um, you know, I don't know what the severity of it was, but. Uh, again, unless, you know, I'm hemorrhaging, you know, arterial flow coming, I'm staying because, you know, I have to cover for the other officers that are coming in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I agree with John. I, I didn't have a problem with the actual shooting because again, he had already inflicted, uh, you know, harm on a, a number of other individuals and was still threatening with a knife. Yeah, well, obviously the family's saying that he just would have suffered minor charges. I mean, that's just a farce. I mean, this guy, yeah, I, I agree, John. Move on. 
So let's jump to uh, foxnews.com. We have a LAPD officer killed during training exercise by cops that actually he was investigating for sexual assault. Um, you know, there's been some conflicting information uh, released by the department on this. The family's been very accusatory. So the attorneys for the family of this LAPD officer who died during the training exercise, and of course, the department's been saying it's just a training thing. Um, it happened earlier this year. They say that he was investigating another officer involved in the exercise for gang rape. So officer Houston Tipping, 32 years old, died after he was injured by the officer under investigation during a bicycle training exercise in May. And a family attorney said this on Monday. Tipping, which is our officer that died, had uh, taken the incident report of the officer's alleged sexual assault. And Tipping's family is suing the police department for wrongful death. And I've got that. I also see that medical records show that Tipping was uh, possibly dropped on his head during the exercise. Uh, but Gage, um, who I believe is the chief, said that the deceased officer um, was beaten to, well, I'm sorry, no, Gage, I guess is the attorney, said that the uh, deceased officer was beaten to death by other officers in the training drill. A county medical examiner ruled that Tipping's death uh, was an accident and that his injuries were sustained during efforts to save his life. So you've got, you know, some really contradictory statements here in this investigation. And let's hear from our uh, mass killers author, Mike Roach. Yeah, so you know, he wasn't investigating them. He wrote the initial police report. That, that's it. He wasn't in internal affairs. He wasn't a, detec a detective. It's no different than any one of us that, you know, dispatched it to write the initial incident report. And that's all he did on that. Now, you know, I understand where now all the conspiracy folks come out saying, you know, well, this is, you know, an attempted cover up of this one, um, you know, bike patrol officer who wrote the report that it's trying to be a cover-up by LAPD. But like I said, it'd be different if he was assigned to internal affairs and actually being the investigator or he was a sex crimes detective or whichever. But, um, you know, I think this is, you know, a, a huge overstatement by the attorneys and the family. General training session, right? It's not like it's, you know, this was some clandestine training where they're going to do something and, you know, he, there, this the guy he took the report and the lead suspect are by themselves. There's other witnesses there. The ME also said the lacerations that were on his torso weren't conducive to what you know the 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 family is alleging. It's tragic. It's horrible. But there's you know there's a lot more to go in this investigation. Obviously, but this this article is not giving us any more to say for me except to say this is a conspiracy theory. Thanks, Chief, and very enlightening, uh, Mike Roach, so thank you. Um, moving along to our next main topic on foxnews.com, uh, how um, urban crime could hobble Democrats in the midterm. So, but we're looking at this, of course, look, I, uh, we want to we want to remain in our space and, and be in law enforcement, but sometimes we have crossovers with national news and political uh, news. So a recent New York Times poll shows that 47% of registered voters and 49% of registered independents agreed more with Republicans on crime and policing compared to just 37% of registered voters and 31% of independents who said they agreed more with Democrats. And a recent ABC Washington Post poll showed that Republicans enjoyed a 14-point advantage over Dems on the issue of crime. The reasons being, um, serious crime or serious violent crime and public disorder are much bigger problems in the urban enclaves of major metro areas, which lean heavily Democrat. And of course, I'm 
taking the assumptions from the article. Also, the Democrats have spent well over a decade making criminal justice reform a priority, which includes reducing incarceration and placing new limits on the powers of law enforcement. And it, it, it kind of wraps it up by saying that shortly after the results of this poll, or after they were published, the Times published a piece suggesting that at least some Republicans whose campaign ads have uh, pressed the issue on the lead up to the November elections, uh, that um, they're appealing to racist fears of all things. And in the Washington Post, a piece from last week noted that Republican messaging on crime is drawing growing accusations from Dems that they are engaging in a pattern of stoking racial divisions. So uh, I, I guess if you can't lose an if you can't win an argument, just go for the racial jugular on on the uh, on the point that uh, on the topic. I don't know, Chief. We've said it, you know, several times, you know, in 2019 on the show, then in 2020, with some of the steps that some of your bigger democratic cities were making, and this is even before what they decided to do without bail reform, you could just see it. And a lot of it was all about social justice. And we're like, you know, there was a, a, a definite pivot away from zero tolerance quality, you know, the a broken windows theory, which were very effective, right? It was more about, you know, the big argument about whether New York NYPD were conducting their stops correctly in order to reduce the, you know, and take all those guns off the street and reduce violent crime in the city. So they were already analyzing and focusing on methods that were effective in reducing crimes, saying that they were racially based. That was going to be problematic. Thank you, Chief. All right, guys, time for another commercial break, but we'll be right back. So if you spend any time inside an armored vehicle, you know how cluttered that world can be, and the same is true of cruisers. Well, there's a new product line out by Tactote that takes advantage of all that steel. Now, Tactote's products allow you to store a variety of gear at an arm's reach using magnetic technology. Extra magazines, med kits, less lethal, breaching tools, they all can have a portable magnetic staging solution, just to name a few. So guys, if you're looking to get your patrol cars or your armored vehicles more organized and also be, to be able to deploy faster, check out tac-tote.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show, Chief John. I remember way before the riots, you know, there was, you know, the hands up. Suddenly what law enforcement had to say when it was involved, officer-involved shootings, and events where, you know, officers either hurt somebody or killed somebody, the narrative was being twisted. When you look at hands up, don't shoot, you know, the narrative was, you know, pushed out their way before the facts. And suddenly facts didn't matter. Due process didn't matter. It was being pushed down and the, the a narrative had to be put out there. And then you obviously had the riots from two years ago. And a lot of, there was just a giant storm brewing that really led to, and what we're seeing now, is a lot of crime in our bigger cities. I think we might talk about an article here shortly about jaywalking. They're, when they start attacking those foundational elements that work when it comes to quality of life arrest, broken windows theory, rational choice, you know, all those things come into play. But this has been in the works now coming up on 10 years when you think about the beer summit, when suddenly local crime became a national issue because they played race into it. And I think what we're looking at eight years later, nine years later from all that is high crime rates. The different that don't want to prosecute certain crimes, obviously the bail reform, and then the, the, the decriminalizing or the legalizing of certain crimes, it's led to a, a hell of a lot of victims, I'll tell you that.
Thanks, Chief. Mike? Yeah, so, um, you know, history repeats itself. And sometimes we're slow at learning from history. And you would think that a lot of these democratic cities would look back and you look at New York City back in 1975, for example, they had that they laid off 5,000 cops, that they had all kinds of revenue issues and funding. And um, the police union started actual, I shouldn't say just the police unions, the fire department was uh, out there with them as well. But the uh, uh, public safety unions were out at the airports, the bus stations, handing out flyers, uh, Fear City, here's a survival guide for tourists. And, uh, you know, you look at that time, uh, New York City, I think, had somewhere around 650 homicides that had occurred in 1975 compared to somewhere around 400, 450 last year, which was way up as a result. But, um, you know, people tend to forget about, you know, looking at the, what we've tried in the past that didn't work. And, you know, like John was saying, you know, we're talking about broken windows. Well, if you go back to New York City in 1975, and I grew up just outside of New York City, and it was just a, a bad place to be, garbage piled up, um, you know, prostitutes lining the, the, the streets. Uh, you had all kinds of issues going on. And then when Giuliani became the mayor and they started uh, really cracking down again, you know, the, the window washers and, and all of the public nuisance type crimes, then crime really became, uh, you know, uh, a tamper down. And now after, you know, uh, 2020, you know, that the riots, we're seeing the surge back up again, crime. And, you know, a lot of these democratic cities are now scratching their head as to, well, how did this happen? Well, you know, you've just, you know, defunded your police department. Uh, you know, New Orleans is now the, the, the homicide capital of the world. And you've got, you know, hundreds of vacancies with the New Orleans police department. Uh, people just don't want to go to work there anymore. I get it. You know, jumping to our next one, we've got on Police Mag, masked suspects vandalized Portland coffee shop for hosting coffee with a cop. Now, I, I know, I know I'm know, i not surprised that it's happening in Portland, uh, but the Portland Coffee House vandalized Wednesday morning after announced Coffee with a Cop event on social media. So at 2.51 in the morning, officers respond to a report of vandalism at the uh, Bison Coffee House. And when they get there, they see that the windows have been broken, property's damaged, there's white debris from a discharged fire extinguisher throughout the in inside of it. And according to a, a department uh, from the, uh, you know, from... Uh, I guess the uh, department mayor Ted Wheeler said on Twitter that, he, you know, he's going to hold the suspects, you know, or the anonymous people, you know, at this point, you know, accountable, but that's the way, uh, that's the way that went down. Probably, probably no shocks here. Thank you to our panelists. I know we had a, uh, a light crew uh, this evening. So thank you, uh, Mike Roach for being on the show and chief John. No, you guys are very busy. And uh, I, hopefully David won't hear us talking about his medical condition. A shout out to our sponsors, Motion DSP, uh, Guardian Life Technologies, GunLearn.com, MyMedicare.life, TACTOTE.com, and also Bang Energy for fueling us. Um, I'm drinking the uh, Cherry Blade Lemonade. It's awesome. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week. Also, FLG Man and MVS. Thank you.